0: So the the title of the message today uh, is the witness of our lives, the witness of our lives. I think it'll be a very, a very practical message. Um, So really, in a a broad sense, when we look at first Peter, what we've been going through up to this point we've been dealing not not completely but primarily with with a lot of doctrine really who we are in Christ and those type of things i'll mention that again here in a few moments but really really starting at verse 11 and to the end of the letter again not not completely because we will we will still be learning different Teachings and doctrines of those things, but it's gonna be a lot of application from here here to the end. A lot of how do we apply these things to our lives. And that's what we're looking at today. We're gonna to look at the witness of our lives. And we're going to, we're gonna see, we're gonna see in our text that we're gonna avoid certain things and pursue certain things. So, by way of illustration, before we go to the text. You can apply this really to any area of life that you'd want to be successful in. My mind always goes to athletics with something like this because I spent a large part of my life in different sports. So if you're going to be successful in a sport, especially dealing with, you know, one that you would really need to be in good conditioning, what would you need to do? You would need to avoid certain things, right? Certain foods certain bad habits. And then you would need to pursue with discipline, you know, putting in the training. Right? That's pretty easy to see. Uh, the same thing could be said... Again, any, anything you want to be successful at is going to take this kind of mindset, this discipline mindset, any kind of class you're in, young people. You're going to, you need to... Back in our day, it was avoiding the TV. Right? You know, you can waste a lot of time when you should be studying. It it could still be the TV, but it's going to be probably your the social media. But it could again, it could still be the television. There's there's a lot of things that, in order to be successful, we need to avoid, and we need to spend that time studying. But it takes discipline. The same thing could be said about dieting, right? Which would really be the same as you know some kind of sporty you know uh, athletics of you're gonna to need to avoid certain certain things going in your body and then add exercise to it you could apply it to working on the job or moms at home raising children you're gonna to need to avoid you know the undisciplined life maybe of staying up too late getting up groggy getting up late being late for work the home being in chaos because because we're not avoiding certain things and then you know not, Discipline in ourselves. You know, the idea of putting one foot in front of another, even when you don't feel like it. You see people do that on jobs, or fail to do that and they lose their jobs. So, that's the idea that we're going to be looking at today in our spiritual lives. We're going to be applying applying this to our spiritual lives and really what it looks like, the outcome is, is our witness for Christ. That's what we're talking about today. Our witness for Christ the Witness of Our Lives is the title of the message. And so if you'll stand, we're just going to read two verses so you won't be standing long if you're able. Second Peter, or I mean First Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. He says this, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. You guys can be seated. Father, we come to You once again, Lord, and I just ask that You would help me today. God, your, Your Word is so precious. You are so holy. You are so worthy of our praise and of our lives and of our obedience. And Father, I just pray that through Your Holy Spirit, God, that You would apply this very simple and practical portion of Your Word to our hearts and our lives, that Your your people would be transformed, God. And we thank You and love You in Christ's name. Amen. So today, I've got the sermon broken up in two headings. Really, verse 11, we're going to look at abstaining from evil. and verse 12, we're going... To look at aspiring or aspire for excellence. So that's it's really simple today. Abstaining from evil that would be the avoiding, and aspiring for excellence that would be that would be the pursuing. So in verse eleven, let's look at verse eleven, beloved. I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. So the word beloved. I chose that word at the beginning of our church plan intentionally because I want you guys to get it in your, your minds and your hearts, to be reminded that because you have been adopted into the body of Christ, that you are beloved by God because you're in Christ. I want you guys to be reminded of that. And that's the way I think of you as well. So that's the whole idea of Peter, Peter using that word. He's reminding them that they are loved by God and that they are loved by Peter. Look at verse 10. We looked at it a couple weeks ago. This was when he had quoted out of Hosea. He says, For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Paul also quotes that verse in Romans 9. And, I, and I'm still talking about the word beloved here. Listen to Paul in Romans 9.25 as he refers to the same passage in Hosea. As he says also in Hosea, I will call those who are not My people, My people, and her who is not beloved, Beloved. You see the connection here, guys? Because you are the people of God, because God by His mercy chose you and set His love upon you and adopted you into His family, you're the Beloved. We're the beloved of God because we're in Christ. And so I just want you guys to be reminded of that. That that you have no idea how much God loves you as His children. We have no earthly idea the love that God has for us as His children. But I think these words are placed in the Scriptures from time to time to remind us that we are the beloved of God and it's all because of Jesus Christ. So he says... uh, he says next, he says, Beloved, I urge you. He uses that word urge. The, the word is parakaleo, and it means this strongly. It, it's a, a strong urge. I strongly urge or strongly appeal to you. So it's a very strong word, and it's an appeal of encouragement. That's the meaning behind the word. It's an appeal of encouragement, and this is why because Peter knows that they are able to carry out this command. And we'll, we'll talk about that more a little later. But He knows that they're able. And so let's ask, let's ask the question under this first heading, abstain from evil. Why should they abstain from evil? Now obviously we know it's God's will to abstain from evil, right? That's an easy answer. But in this text, in this context, in, in these two verses, why should they abstain? We're going to look at two reasons. Why? Really two sub-points under the first heading. Number one, because of who they are. Because of who they are. Listen to what he says. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from these fleshly lusts. So, so the first reason they should abstain is because of who they are. And we could say because of who you are. Who we are. Is Why should, why should we abstain? Remember, usually in the Bible, you have... You have doctrine first and then practice. And that's what we see here. Because of who we are in Christ, right? That's the idea. We're aliens and strangers. That's the words that the the NAS use. Just the idea of people who live in a foreign country. That's, That's who we are. This world is a foreign country to us if we are believers in Christ. So it's people who live in a foreign country but keep their citizenship, right? We, we are citizens of another land. But, we're, but we live here right now. And so the word alien, guys, it literally has the meaning alongside his house. Alongside his house. And this is, this is where it that make sense. The idea that Christians who do not belong to the world system but live alongside those who do. So so we're not a part of this world system, but we live alongside everywhere we go among people who do. That's what this word alien means. You know the the phrase that that we have probably all heard, we are in the world, right? But not of the world. That's what he's saying here. Again, we're looking at the reason, the first reason why we should abstain from these fleshly lusts. Paul reminds us in Philippians 1, Philippians 3, verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven. If you're a Christian today, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ through faith in Him, it says our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you guys eagerly await the Lord? Do you eagerly await His return, or when we go to be with him, I hope you eagerly await. Peter's Peter or Paul here, rather in Philippians one, he's describing the mentality what what should be of a Christian. We should have an an eagerness about us to be with the Lord. So ask yourself that today as you're sitting in here. Do you eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, or does The thought, or does that thought terrify you? Is it fearful? Those are good things to think about. Have you guys ever been like away from home? And I know some in here have been away from home a lot more than I have in your lives, just because of the jobs you have. But have you ever been away and you just uh, you realize that there's no place like home? That type of thing. You, You know, the people that you love. You know, I think of guys like Hunter who are, who are away more than a lot of people, just from being in the military. Of course, you, you talk about guys getting deployed. I've never had to experience that. You know, I can think of it in, in two shorter trips that I was on. I haven't done a lot of traveling, but in the last two or three years, I was able to go to, you know, to Scotland and Jamaica, both on preaching trips. and And again, had a was very important trips. had a, had a really good time. enjoyed it. was was um, thankful for it. At times I, I would never trade in for anything. But I but but both trips. After about a week or so, I was starting to long for home. I knew that as great as it was over here, that I was not a citizen over here, literally. And and I had this eagerness. Not necessarily, you know, the illustration's not perfect, obviously. I knew my, I wasn't eagerly awaiting for my wife's return. I was eagerly awaiting to get home. And the whole, have you ever been in that position where you come in on the airport and and you're walking through the airport and you see their face? And that's what made me think of this verse that we eagerly await when we see Christ face to face. Just like when you see your wife or your husband or your children, you've been away. And you realize this is, I'm home. And so I hope you guys are eagerly awaiting the Lord Jesus Christ or to be with Him. So, because of this, because of this, because of who we are, we are aliens and strangers in this world. This life, this world is not our home. You understand that? Don't get too attached to this world because it's not your home. Because of this he says abstain from fleshly lust. He said beloved I urge you I strongly urge and appeal to you as a way of encouragement as aliens and strangers because of this to abstain from fleshly lust. The word abstain it means to keep away from or avoid. That's why I use the illustrations that I did tried to think of real practical things we avoid these things in our lives, in different areas of our lives. It's the same thing here spiritually. He's saying the first thing He's telling us to do because of who we are is to abstain from fleshly lust. To keep away from, to avoid. And this is in the present tense. In the Greek, it's it, the idea is to continually keep away from. In other words, do not indulge at any time. Right? The Christian life, the command is not Well, you can you can indulge here and there, but as long as you don't overdo it, that's not the wording here. It's do not indulge at any time, right? In a race, the Christian life is called a race, correct? In the Bible, think of a regular race, a a foot race that you're in, Carl. I'll pick on you. So when you're in a race, do you uh, you run for a little while and you thought, well, I'll stop for a little while. (laughs) You know, I'm running hard, but I'm going to stop for a while. That no, you keep on running. If you want to win that race, you can you continue. So that's that's the that's the idea here, guys. We're to continually keep away from from these to to abstain from these fleshly lusts. It's a battle. It's a battle. So we, so we ask ourselves, what kind of lust is he talking about? We're going to turn to Galatians here in a moment, but I think if you just turn over to be in the same letter and. Uh, in, in, in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 in the same letter, Peter mentions some lust, so obviously he probably has some of these ideas. Now I will say this, when we think of lust, we automatically think of you know, the sexual kind. And we're going to look at Galatians, and, and yes, those are included, but that's not all he's talking about with these kind of things. But in, uh, in, in, in 1 Peter 4, actually I'm going to read verses 1-3. through 3. Verse 3 is really the one we're looking at. He says, therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. So I'm sure he has some of those in mind, and uh, if you will turn to Galatians chapter five, real briefly, you're going to see some of the same some of the same ones in Paul's list. But he adds some more. Obviously, this is not an exhaustive list, but it is a pretty big list that is referred to as the deeds of the flesh. And uh, you know we read these type of things many times, but I thought we would spend not long, but just a few moments. Looking at some of these, some of these um, behaviors, these in, in this list, to apply it to our text today. So Galatians five, verses nineteen through twenty-one says this. Paul says, "Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy." Outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. So we know by that phrase, and things like these, that that's not an exhaustive list. He said, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we're going to walk through those real quickly. The deeds of the flesh. These are just works that are produced by man's sinful desires of of his unredeemed humanness, in other words. Right? We, we, We are still in this world. Even those who are saved, even those who have been born again. The Bible talks about our old man dying with Christ. We're going to look at that in a moment in Romans 6. But we still have this unredeemed flesh that we have to deal with. Paul calls it in Romans 7, indwelling sin. So that's why as a Christian, you're constantly in battle against your flesh. And so let's walk through these real briefly. Immorality. The word is porneia. Where we get the word pornography. And this, this immorality just means all illicit sexual activity. That's what this phrase means. All illicit sexual activity. That would include fornication, which would be sex outside of or before marriage. That would include adultery, obviously. That would include homosexuality. That would include incest. These type of things. Bestiality that the Bible mentions. Anything outside of a husband and a wife in a marriage is, is under this immorality. We have to remember, guys, that, that, that sex is not a bad thing. God created it. But He created it for husband and wife in a marriage bond, in a marriage relationship, Hebrews thirteen four says, "Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge." The next one is impurity, meaning this, morally, because because the word is used referring to the ceremonial law, it can be talking about being ceremonial, un, ceremonially unclean, like somebody who has leprosy. But the idea here, he is referring to a moral uh, meaning, morally speaking. It's being unclean in deeds, words, and thoughts or desires of the heart. This uncleanness. Like Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. He said, but I say, if if you even look at a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in the heart. So it gets down to the thought life, to the heart. Sensuality. Unrestrained sexual indulgence. We don't need to go any further than that. Idolatry. Obviously, we could talk a lot about idolatry. (laughs) You know, that comes in so many forms. But really, the idea of worshiping anything above or in place of, of God. For example, I think it's Ephesians refers to covetousness or greed as idolatry. You know, when we place... Material possessions above God, it becomes idolatry. Sorcery. Where we get the word pharmacia it's, it's the idea of mind-altering drugs. Many times used in occultic practices, witchcraft and magic. Again, it is a form, another form of idolatry. The idea, guys, I think you could talk about any kind of drug use, really. Any kind of drug use or being under the influence The mind altering influence of drugs or alcohol, we have to remember this, guys. We are to be filled with and controlled by the Holy Spirit, not by something else. Okay? Enmities, hateful attitudes, strife, bitter conflicts. You can see how many of these overlap with one another. Jealousy. It's a it's a form of anger or hateful resentment. Caused by coveting. How easy it is to fall into that. We see somebody that God may bless in a certain way with certain gifts and talents, material possessions, and we can easily become jealous. So we've got to guard against these things. Outbursts of anger. Sudden, unrestrained expressions of hostility comes from an uncontrollable temper. Guys, when I think back to my life, um, in many of these areas, but that that one in particular, uh, what the spirit of god i, I, I can remember having a, such an anger problem before my conversion. Just exactly what what that was saying, just ex, just explosiveness, just suddenly something didn't go my way, and so many of us struggle with these kind of things. Different, you know, we even as believers. We're, we're, we're going to struggle with different ones of these uh, you know, rather than what our brother or sister may struggle with. But I can remember some of these just, just really uh, being so easily angry. Um, and then disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, all of these guys, just really just more specified behaviors, you could say, that, that flow out of uh, really the, a continuation of some of these sins. Okay. We don't need to look at every one of them. Obviously, drunkenness. We know what that's referring to. The Bible doesn't speak against drinking alcohol, but it's very clear that it forbids drunkenness for the reason I just stated. And then carousing. Really the idea that behavior that comes from a lifestyle of drunkenness and that type of life. Which again, uh, I, I lived that type of life years ago. And so that, that corrals and it. it just goes along with that stuff. Really, when you start getting into drunkenness, it just enhances all of these. It really does. And so again, it's not, a, it's not an exhaustive list, but what do we do with this? What we need to do with this, anytime you come across a list like that in the Bible, the wise thing to do is to examine yourself. Because you heard what Paul said. He said, I warned you as I warned you already that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a strong warning. In other words, he's saying that if if that's your lifestyle, if that's your unrepentant lifestyle, you're not a Christian. That's what he's saying. Regardless of what you profess with your mouth. I remember seeing those passages years ago about the time of my conversion, and that's really when I realized that I was that something had happened in me, that I didn't have a desire for these things, but when I look back at my life, that was me right there. That was me. And so I would I would encourage you to examine yourself. Examine yourself. Which back back in Galatians real quickly, which I would ask which defines you? The list we just read? Obviously, guys, we're not talking about sinless perfection, okay? We're talking about a lifestyle. Which would describe you? That list or the next two verses? He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So we've got to ask ourselves, which describes you, which describes us. That's how you would examine yourself. So the command, again, back in Peter, the command implies that it can be done. It's that it's that it's that encouraging appeal to abstain because it can be done. And and the reason is, guys, you go ahead. Turn there. Turn to Romans 6 real briefly. It's real important. We're going to, I'm going to tie some of this together real quick. But Romans chapter 6 describes us really kind of what happened to us as Christians. I'm going to read Romans 6, 1-7 and then verses 11-13 through 13, and then make a few comments. What, Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of, God, or of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, listen to this, so that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For He who has died has been freed from sin. And then verses 11-13, through Even so, Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. We're going to talk about in just a moment the reality of the Christian life is there is this war and this battle going on in the Christian's life. But I want you to see that before we go there, that for the believer, the believer, Romans 6 is telling us that our old man died with Christ. Literally went down into the grave. The picture of baptism. And and being raised to walk in newness of life so that we're no longer slaves to sin, okay? Don't misunderstand me. doesn't mean we won't struggle with sin. But we go from being slaves, which we're going to look at a little more, to we start to have victory over sin. Our desires change, first of all. And then through the abiding Holy Spirit, God enables us to be able for the first time to be able to have victory over sin because we have a new heart, the new birth. And so, why should they abstain? We're still under the first heading of verse 11. Why should they abstain? Why should we abstain? Secondly is this, guys, because the enemy is relentless. Because the enemy is relentless. The enemy in this, in this case being the fleshly lusts themselves. Listen to verse eleven. He says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust which wage war against the soul. We have obviously we have an enemy, his name is Satan, but the way he works, he uses he works alongside the world and the flesh to tempt us and these type of things. In this text here, Specifically, our enemy is, are these fleshly lusts. Look what it says, which wage war. It, 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 maybe you hadn't been a believer very long. I think if you have been one for very long, I don't have to remind you of that. That you're in a war, that there's a war going on. I, I will caution you if there's not a war going on, then I would, I would question your Christianity. There's not a war with sin. Wage war, the phrase means to serve as a soldier. Again, present tense. Continually. The idea is that these fleshly lusts are continually waging war against your soul. You know, you think of really... You think of evil forces out there, you know? You think of maybe... You know, I don't know. I didn't have this written down. I'm just thinking. Maybe we think of uh, some of the Islamic terrorists that we have seen over the years. They are relentless, right? Waging war against their enemies. Well, folks, they're not near as relentless as our sin. Your sin, your lust, they're not going to stop. So we better get ready and get in the battle because they're not going to stop. It's, it's a kind of civil war because it's all going on inside us. Galatians 5.17 says this. Speaking of this, this battle, we can, we can get a glimpse of this battle. Galatians 5.17 For the flesh sets itself against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. It's because there's a war going on, guys. Before my conversion, there was not a war going on. There just wasn't. It didn't mean that I didn't realize that certain things were right and wrong. But you hear what it says in that text? The flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. When we, when God saves us, He gives us His Holy Spirit. And now all of a sudden, you got two opposing... The forces going against one another. Our, our fleshly lusts, our indwelling sin, and the Holy Spirit of God. You can read more about it in Romans seven, Paul's struggle with the sin. I'm gonna read one verse out of that chapter, verses twenty-three, again to see the example of that war. I see a different he says, But I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. It's the whole chapter, or part of that chapter is a description of his battle with sin. And another part of that, that chapter, he says, I, I, um, I desire, I love the law of God in my innermost being. And in the following chapter, it says, an unbeliever hates the law of God. So we know that Paul's describing himself in his Christian life in his struggle against sin. Guys, we're in a battle. We're in a battle, you're in a war, your enemy is relentless. And he says this. It says he wages or the, the 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 lust, these fleshly lusts wage war against the soul. Now this this word can mean person, but here in this context it refers specifically to the non-physical, spiritual part of the person. Our inner man. And so one thing I do want to remind you guys of. I think most of us would understand this, but I want you to to remind you guys that a Christian cannot lose his salvation. That's not what we're talking about. Okay? That's not what we're talking about here. But what we are talking about is that if we if we fail in these areas to abstain from fleshly lusts as believers, our Christian life is going to be weak, it's going to be anemic, and it's going to be very ineffective for the Lord. And I don't want that for you guys. I don't want that for me. I've been there as a believer really just floundering around of no use to the Lord because I'm not living a disciplined Christian life. I'm not, I'm not abstaining from these things. We all go through these seasons as Christians. But know that, that that's what is at stake, guys. Is just living a victorious Christian life The the kind that God can use. That's what I want for you guys. That's what I want for myself. And so before conversion, before conversion, guys, here's the difference. Before conversion, we were dominated by fleshly lusts. Dominated. Now, depending on when you came to Christ, if you came as a very young person, that's going to be different for every person. Again, I say this regularly. Mine was as an adult, so it was very distinct. But listen to Ephesians 2, verses 1-3. through He says, you were, speaking to these Christians, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked. Okay? Walked. That's a lifestyle. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the Spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. It was a lifestyle described by disobedience really following what the Bible says, the God of this world, the Father of unbelievers who is the devil. And then in verse 3, among them, we too, all formerly lived, again, lifestyle, lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So, before our conversion, it, it wasn't a war, it wasn't a battle. We were dominated by these things. But, praise be to God, He says in Second Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, right? He is a new creature. The old has passed away, behold, the new is come. And remember this, guys. Remember this we are saved,
1: we are born again, we are
0: justified at a given certain time, and then we are sanctified throughout our life. Okay? So there's a there's a balance to this. I want people to examine yourself, but as a Christian, I don't want you to walk in condemnation because you're not living all these things out perfectly. None of us are. Christ did on our behalf. And He is sanctifying us. He is making us more like Christ as we pursue Him. Which... which I need to make this point. We must walk by the Spirit's power. We must walk by the Spirit's power. Galatians 5, 16. (laughs) But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Obviously, if we're going through Galatians, we'd spend a lot of time on these kind of passages. But just to say this, saturate your mind with the truth of God's Word. That's what the book of Colossians says. Saturate your mind with the truth of God's word. You will never, you know, because it's one thing to say walk by the Spirit; it's another thing. Okay, how do I do that? Right? You will never walk by the Spirit apart from God's word in your life. You just won't. God attaches walking by the Spirit to being in His Word, having His Word saturate your mind. It's living a life, guys. It's it's being intentional. Living a life of continual awareness of His presence. Do you live with awareness of, of God's presence in your life? Of Christ's presence in your life? Of the Spirit's presence in your life? It's being in His Word. It's being, it's being in continual fellowship with Him. Having a, In other words, having a consistent prayer life. And really, it's just pattering your... pattering... patter... <laughs> Your life after Christ, okay? I'll just say that. And, and really just a desire, guys, above all else. As you as you pursue Him and His Word, as you're in His Word, you're not reading just for head information. It's You desire above anything else to know and to please Him. And as you do this, guys, you'll be led by His Spirit. You will have the Spirit's power. When you're focused upon Christ and His Word, it's amazing how these things that might otherwise tempt you, don't. Because you're walking in his power, you're abiding in the vine, right? As he says in John 15, you're abiding in the branch. The branch is getting his nutrients from the vine. I mean, if you cut a branch off from the vine, it's going to die, right? The substance comes from Christ. And so, just a quick illustration, guys, before we move to verse 12, I want you to think of how much we fight against different enemies of our body, per se maybe bad things that we know that will hurt our body, which are good things to do, right, Josh? As a doctor, we want to take care of our body. And think, But think about how much effort we all, which is a good thing, right? It's an illustration. How much effort we put in fighting against enemies of our body, right? We, 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 at least I hope you guys do. We read labels, right? What am I putting into my body? I do that more than I used to. Used to, I wasn't real good about that. If it tastes good, it, it goes down. But, uh, you know, we read labels, right? We shop for certain foods. We, we, take, we try to take certain vitamins. Just don't take too many, Jamie. <laughs> we, we go to the doctor. I hope you guys regularly have... I just had my yearly checkup. Go to the doctor. In other words, we do our research because we care about our bodies. We know that certain things can hurt our bodies, Right? And so, guys, what about your soul? What about the enemies of your soul? Do you take the same care, the same time, care, and these type of things to protect your soul from these these, really these spiritual terrorists, you could say, who wage war on our soul? It takes effort. It takes intentionality. It takes being disciplined every day, being in God's word. Isn't it amazing? We come back to the basics every time, do we not? It's not a it's not a conference you go to to see your favorite speaker and it's gonna man it's gonna get you up here in this spiritual high and you're not gonna struggle with sin anymore. No, you're gonna come back Monday and things are gonna get back to normal, <laughs> right, Paul? Right. I mean, I love I love to hear Paul Washer. He gets you excited, but guess what? He's not the Holy Spirit, and he'd be the first one to tell you. No, it's it's being disciplined, being in God's Word, seeking Him in prayer, confessing your sin. Right, keeping a short, a short notice on that type of stuff. Don't let sin build up in your life. You don't have to wait to get to get to the end of the day to confess your sin, guys. You can confess your sin as you're going throughout your day. You have these thoughts that you know you shouldn't have. You don't have to. You don't have to be weird and pray out loud in front of other people. God can hear you. Just be con- in continual. Understand that He's there. That he's there, he wants to hear you. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. It's a daily cleansing. So, secondly, verse verse twelve, we're going to see. So, we, so we saw the avoiding part, right? We're to avoid these these fleshly lusts. And in verse twelve, this this will go quicker. Jamie, I don't know if I'm going to uh, finish in time, like I said, but I'm for it. <laughs> and Carl, but uh. Secondly, we're going to see aspiring for excellence. Okay? Aspiring for excellence. Or aspire for excellence. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now in the Greek, guys, there is no new sentence beginning here. This is simply the positive counterpart to verse 11 like we just read. It's like the illustrations that I shared. You have the avoiding and now you have the pursuing, in other words. The positive counterpart that we are responsible to do. And so he says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Your Bible may say conduct or conversation. But the idea is it's a day-to-day pattern of life, okay? Okay? This is really a practical message. Your day-to-day pattern of life. He says, keep your day-to-day pattern of life excellent among the Gentiles. This word, excellent. It has the idea of uh, being beautiful of outward form. Being beautiful of outward form. Some synonyms would be lovely, fine, winsome, gracious. This should be describing us. Not imperfection. But he's saying keep your behavior excellent among who? Among the Gentiles. This just simply means the unbelievers, okay? So Peter uses this word not because Peter thinks his readers were all Jewish Christians, but because Christians, as we've already seen in this letter, both Jew and Gentile, he gives the picture as the true Israel. Okay? The true Israel. And in this text, he's referring to the Gentiles, not necessarily a certain... Ethnic group, but as a picture of unbelievers. Okay, so don't get confused with that. He, that. That happens other times in the in the scriptures. But it says they were called evildoers in this text. He says so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers. Why? Why? Why are they called this? Or, or maybe more importantly, or more appropriately, how? R- remember the context of the letter, guys. Okay. For those who haven't been with us, this letter is written to these, these Christians who are, who are scattered abroad here around the Roman Empire, and, and, and they're under persecution, severe persecution from, from Nero, the emperor. Nero was a, was a madman, okay? He had a fascination with, with, with building cities, and so the city of Rome burnt down. And there's many people, most historians think that it was Nero who burned it down. So in order to rebuild it, he had to burn it down. People did not respond too well for that, so who did he blame? He blamed the Christians, okay? So that in and of itself created much hostility from the culture to the Christians. Because everybody's being hurt. They're the ones who burnt the city down, right? He was slandering them. And so they were also accused of other things. First of all, they would not bow to, to uh, Caesar as Lord, but they could. They said, "No, Christ is Lord. Christ is King." They were accused of atheism because they would not bow to all of the myriads of gods that that was in that culture. So, so they're actually, they were actually called atheists, which is kind of odd in our mind. Um, they were accused of cannibalism in that day. Because if you think about how we talk about partaking of the Lord's Supper, especially in passages like John 6 maybe. Uh, last time we took the Lord's Supper, we looked at that text when Jesus said, you know, that you need to eat My flesh and drink My blood. And so you, you may have, these people may have heard these Christians using that kind of language and thought, or they, or they did. It's a historical fact. They thought that they were involved in cannibalism. Or, or maybe incest. They thought they were involved in incest. Always talking about loving one another and then always meeting in secret. But they were meeting in secret to avoid persecution. So that just fueled it all. And so they were persecuted in all these ways. They were slandered. They were called evildoers. These are some of the reasons why. And so what's the, uh, the question? The question I would have now, guys, is what is the driving motive and keeping our behavior excellent. What, what is Peter getting at with his readers here and with us? What is the driving motive in keeping our behavior excellent? We can see it in the second half of the text in verse 12. He says, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that... Okay? So that... And then following. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God and the day of visitation. Okay, so we're going to finish this out. Now, in order for this to be true of us, of Peter's readers and of us, in order for this to be true, to, to in other words, to make an impact with our lives, that's what we're getting at, to make an impact with our lives to the unbelieving world, then we had better be living in the opposite way, that we have been slandered. In other, in, in other sense. I, ho- I hope I'm making sense here. I'm, gonna try to, I'm trying to apply this to us here. In other words, if we're being accused of, falsely accused, you could say, well, hopefully it's falsely accused. For example, if we're being accused of being hateful or being troublemakers, then those accusations, guys, had better be false. False. Okay? They had better be false. And and we do get accused of that many times, of being hateful, but it, it needs to be simply because the message of the gospel offends. Because if we actually are being hateful, then you really can't apply this text, and we're not going to have a positive impact on on the on the culture, you could say, on unbelievers. What is this what is this telling us, guys? What is this text telling us? When you, when you sum it all up. It's telling us, it's reminding us. Especially, and I think we need to be reminded of it. Those of us we, hold, we know that God saves by His Gospel, right? We know it's His Word that has power. But what this is telling us is that our life matters. The way that we live our life matters. We don't just say, no, they need to hear the Gospel, but I can be a jerk. No, our life matters. Our excellent, beautiful life. That, 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 that language of that that word excellent. Our excellent, our beautiful life. In other words, God may use it. It may, it may result in somebody's salvation. By the very way we live our life. That's what Peter's getting at, guys. Your life, where you go every day, moms, when you're with your children, Those of us who work out in the world, we have people in the medical field, men and women. We have people all kinds of different jobs, like every church would have, like everybody would have. Your life matters. People are watching. Do you realize that guys that people really are watching? Do you do you ever think that my life really it's not making an impact? Oh, believe me, it does. And it's doing it one of two ways. And I'm not asking for anybody to raise their hand or volunteer but i bet there's people in here who who people have have told you on your job that you're different than other people just know that when they say that they're they're watching they're watching us our life matters you think do you think employers notice when you don't complain whenever 95% of the people do i guarantee you they do they notice that can be that can be a a, a pathway to maybe ministering to an employer just by the way you live and it may lead to more than that. Do you think even guys, something as simple as a waiter or a waitress, do you think they notice when you're kind? Absolutely they do. And what's sad, you guys know where I'm going with this, is they say some of the rudest people are on Sunday afternoon. What, What a... Tragic statement. Guys, they notice when you're kind. Could I encourage you with something? When you're dealing with waiters and waitresses, right, we all go out to eat. Be kind to them. Be kind to them. Engage them in conversation. You know, know, obviously you don't want to keep them from doing their job, but be kind to them. Be personable. And then you probably know where I'm going with this. If you choose to leave a gospel track with them, you better tip above and beyond. Don't be cheap. And then, oh yeah, I'm going to leave this track there. That's not a good witness. Our, our life matters. But people notice those things. You think co-workers notice? And, and I'm talking, to it could be men or women here. But do you think co-workers notice when you talk highly about your spouse? I guarantee you they notice. May, they might even consider you weird if you talk highly about your spouse, because what do we hear? Jokes. You know, don't, don't get offended if you've used this. Okay, I'm not trying to offend nobody, but you know, your old lady. That those are just those are just kind of some of the language that's used out there. You know, oh yeah, man, you're working late today. Yeah, I don't want to go home and be with that woman. But but when you talk about when you talk highly of your wife, people notice. People notice these things, guys. Your life does matter. They'll know If nothing else, they'll know, this guy's different. This guy's different. And maybe they'll begin to watch you. They'll see that. They'll hear that. They'll hear how you don't complain. They'll hear how you don't... You, uh, again, I had that on the tail end of that. You think your co-workers don't notice when you don't participate in dirty jokes? Absolutely they notice. Guys, in other words, I think Peter's telling... His readers and us. This, this excellent life, right? First, we have to abstain. Next, we have to pursue. Just think of kindness and humility and, and generous should describe us to the, to the outside world, the looking world. And then look at the tail end of this verse here, guys. That they may, because of your good deeds, I just shared a few that I thought of, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Okay? Now, I'm not going to get too specific here because uh, theologians are really split on what this may mean. It could be this day of visitation could be the day of judgment. Or it could be the day when God visits that person in salvation. I think i probably prefer the latter, but it could be either one but I'm going to give an illustration for each one, okay? We're going to, we're going to close with that. It could be somebody, guys, who you, you were faithful with. You were faithful by the way you lived your life. You were faithful by explaining to them the Gospel, how they could be reconciled to God. And you know, but they just uh, they, they died as an unbeliever. They stood before God. And they realized that um, yeah, that, that was a faithful witness. They, they really did represent you and, and God. They give, they give God glory in, in some type of way. I mean, obviously we know God's going to receive glory in the salvation of sinners and even in the damnation of the lost. Glory for His mercy. Glory for His justice. But there's those who think that, that somehow that's what that phrase is meaning and, and it might be. That while that that they're gonna realize somehow that day that man that that man that that I thought was kind of weird, he he really was who he said he was. He he loved the Lord, his life was different, he glorified the Lord, and that could be what it's meaning. It could be meaning glorify God in the day of visitation when God visits that person with salvation and saves that person. So I want to give an illustration of that. We'll close with this. There was a, uh, I'm not going to mention by name, but there was a, a guy that I knew several years ago that I uh, had that met, and him and his pastor used to go to Bricktown to share the gospel every Friday or Saturday night, before, I think before I even started going down there, and he told me a story about a guy that his pastor was talking to one, one night, and, that, and he said this guy was a big guy. A big burly guy. They're always big burly truck drivers, but that's what this guy was. Big burly truck driver. And so his pastor was talking to this guy, real kindly explaining the gospel, and this guy was getting madder and more angry, and he, he just spit in his face right there. Spit in his face. Gave a few choice words and then stormed off. And he told me about a year later, him and his pastor, the same two guys, were in the same area doing the same thing, sharing the gospel. And they were talking to a couple. And, and he said, I could notice there was a big, somebody, a big presence over to the side. It was that guy. And he noticed he was just standing there. And you can imagine maybe some of the emotions this guy was having. Like, oh goodness, <laughs> he, he'd come back for us. But he said he was very polite. He walked up whenever they were whenever they were done talking with the other people. And he, he was glowing now. He wasn't angry. He was glowing. And he said, I... I wanted to come find you guys. I, I was hoping you might be down here in the same area because I wanted to tell you what's happened to me. And he, he didn't give the... This was, this was about a year later, but at some point he said, after you guys talked to me, and of course he apologized for spitting in the guy's face. He said, but I, I, I'm a truck driver and I heard a, I was flipping through the channels. We talked about God's sovereignty and His providence. And I heard a man named R.C. Sproul... And he was saying the same things you were. And just overcome with conviction. Overcome with what happens when God saves a man. Brokenness. He said, I just I had to pull my truck over. Guys, that's what God does with, with Sinners. This man was was transformed. And he and he came to find those guys and, and to glorify God with them. So you, you God saved me. Thank you. Thank you. For being kind when I when I spit in your face. He recognized the kindness of these men. They didn't fight back. They shared the truth, took the spit, turned the other cheek, and God used it to save that man. And that he would come back just to find them boy, or the men. That's how gracious our God is. That's how God uses our life. I, I would almost bet, and I'm just, this is me just thinking, but I would almost bet that if he had spit in their face and they would have turned on him and been ugly and nasty he probably wouldn't have came and to told them but the fact is guys that's what God does with sinners God uses our life he uses our life he uses the simple message of the gospel that a little child can understand but he uses the way that we live our lives as well and I and I want you guys to know today because we have some visitors I don't know you But we share this message every time we gather because I do not want anybody in here to be under any kind of deception of where you may stand with God. But the same message that those men were telling that man is the same Gospel message that God has used to save every one of us. That we are are sinners by nature. That we have rebelled against God because that's our nature. When Adam sinned, it says creation fell, and so we're born in sin, and so we come into this world, and we and we live in rebellion towards God. It's called violating God's law when we rebe- we rebel against God, and because God is just and holy, and I'm confident that's what these men told that man because I know R.C. Sproul, he told them they they told him that God is holy, and that God will punish your sin because He's holy because He's good that all sin will be punished. And the place of punishment is hell. But that God in His justice is also merciful and loving and He sent His Son to this world who lived the perfect life that you and I cannot live, that holy, perfect, righteous life that we could never live in our place. He went to the cross and and, and He bore the punishment that you and I deserve. For our sin, the sinless, excellent one, the most excellent one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was without sin, was punished by the Father as if He lived my rotten life and your rotten life. Paying for sin in full, the song we sang, it is finished. He paid for the sins of all of those who would believe in full. Every last drop of God's wrath was satisfied. He demonstrated that by rising from the dead, conquering death. And that is our hope. That is why we gather. That is why we worship. As believers, that's what makes us tick is the Lord Jesus Christ and His goodness and His grace. And if you don't know Him today, I would appeal to you that life is short. Life is short. Death is imminent. Life is like a vapor. It's coming for all of us. And if you don't know if you know Christ or not, if you don't know if you're right with God, God commands all sinners to repent. To turn from the direction you're going and and by faith, come to His Son. Come to His Son. Be willing to trust in Him, His, His perfect life, His death, His resurrection as the only means of salvation by grace through faith alone. And Jesus promises that whoever comes to Me, I will never cast out. I will never turn away. If you will come to Christ, be willing to turn from your sin and embrace Him by faith as your Lord and Savior, the only hope of salvation, then God will save you. So if there's anybody, and this goes out weekly to our people, if there's anybody... Whoever needs to talk further about this, come to me or many other people in this church and we would would love nothing more than to help a person understand that you truly know Jesus Christ and have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we come before You, Lord, and we thank You for Your great love for us. Lord, You are so gracious, so kind, Lord, the way You saved that man, Lord was by Your grace the same way You save little children who come to You humbly, trusting in You. You saved the worst of sinners, God, because You are gracious. You are kind. And that's who You came to save. There are no good people in this world. There are none good, none righteous. And Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. Nothing. Nothing greater than our salvation that we have in Christ our inheritance that we have in Christ. So Father, I just thank You for Your Word. I pray that Your people are encouraged, God, to take up their cross and to follow You, to abstain from fleshly lusts, Lord, and to, to seek to honor You, Lord, by the way we live our lives, God, by every conversation we have, and um, to remember that the world, the unbelievers, are watching. And so Father, may we, may we be a witness for You in every area of our life. Lord, I just thank You for Your Word. Thank You for these people, Lord. And I ask You to bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.